Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Hmm. You just have to take a moment to savor that first sip. So good. Today is, say it with me, Friday! Woo! Chair dance. <laughs> November 19th. Um, a, this, uh, this week has uh, ended up nicely. I'm happy to be here on this Friday. And um, yeah, several things to talk to you guys about today. My um, exciting news is I finished the novella. Woohoo! Get to do the additional terror dance. Uh, yeah, finished it yesterday, um, which was amazing since I went to Writer Coffee too. But I, I didn't linger at Writer Coffee too long, so that was good. I, you know, had my coffee and ate my breakfast and zoomed out of there. So usually on a day when I start later, it's less productive for me. In fact, um, I even have a, a graph. Of course I have a graph that shows, um, I wonder if there's a way for me to show it to you guys. Probably not easily, but it's a, a nice, uh, trend line there, uh, that shows that it's, um, almost, <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like a, 45 degree angle that shows that the later I start, the less word count I get. Um, I'm a morning writer. It's one way to discover how, um, what you really are is to monitor, uh, however you want to quantify the amount of work you get done by scenes or some other measure. For me, word count is a nice, simple measure. Um, and I plotted against start time, average start time. I do it on a weekly basis. So it's pretty nicely averaged out. That's the scientist in me. I, I don't like outliers and there is a fair spread through the middle of it. But, um, so yesterday, yeah, I didn't start until 1103. So that was when I got back and I finished up at 3 PM. So I actually did, um, let's see if I've got this all across. I don't. I did three hours and 23 minutes of work, um, over a nearly four hour span. And I wrote 3,573 words, finished out the novella at 27 K. I did push past the 3000 words and my three hours because I was so close to being done. You guys, I was so close. And I thought, you know, a few hundred more words will do it. And indeed, um, that last hour, it was a little bit more than I thought. I did 579 in that last 23 minutes, finishing it out the novella. Uh, but now she's done. Yep. So, uh, even if we were sticking to our deadline, which we are, uh, I've mentioned already are not because of Dorinda's crisis, um, I would have made it just fine. I probably wouldn't have puttered so much if I had known, hadn't known that we weren't going to try to hit this deadline, but, uh, now I have a little bit of time, so I'm going to have a couple of beta reads on it. 
and yeah so um nice to have that done definitely nice to have that done so now i'm moving into writing gray magic for which the timeline is somewhat tight um i can do it i just don't have much wiggle room on it so uh and that's with trying to get it out in January of course not the not my original deadline but as I am forever telling other people um, that's the nice thing about self-publishing is that you can control these things and sometimes sometimes things have to give and that's that's the way of it so I wanted to talk about a couple different things um this online class that I have been teaching about um keeping secrets and creating suspense there's been a couple of interesting questions in the last couple of days and what and some of these things are about you know like how we make decisions about the story and you guys know that I'm like a total gardener total right for discovery so a lot of times I just let the story come to me but it's kind of like this balance between the conscious brain and the subconscious brain and I've talked about this a lot before um, that book my stroke of insight where the woman had a, a left brain stroke and she was a neuroscientist so she was really good at uh, observing her own cognitive processes and one of the things that she discovered was as her left brain was injured and healing that her right brain was where she lived most of the time and the right brain was a very lovely dreamy place to live but uh, it was not very interested in things like schedules or deadlines or keeping track of things and whether or not you credit that sort of thing or whether or not you are interested in stuff like the subconscious uh, I am a believer in the creative subconscious and I've been having this conversation in different ways with people over the last week or so because you know there are people who rely very heavily on their intuition on their subconscious um, that they believe that they have psychic abilities that they have the um, that they have intuition that verges towards clairvoyance that they can sense other people's thoughts and emotions and and I would fall firmly the the person I was talking to had described themselves as a rationalist and said that they did not believe any of that sort of thing and I said you know I would describe myself as kind of a rationalist too I mean certainly I have my neuroscience background and all of that um, I recall my neuroscientist major advisor very scathingly at one point asking me how I could be a scientist and also believe in unicorns and I was like but unicorns do exist look here's here's an illustration of one and he said that's something that someone made up and I said but that it's still a sort of existence um, you know like are we really going to judge <laughs> um, but but yeah I do believe in magical things and I do believe that there are other realities that 
um, are perceptible to us in varying ways. And I do believe that it's possible to sense other people's thoughts and emotions. And I do believe in clairvoyance that we get feelings about stuff and that our subconscious does provide us with a vast amount of intuitive knowledge. At the same time, I believe that we have a conscious brain for a reason. Um, it seems to me like a lot of people who want to rely on subconscious intu intuition also want to also kind of treat the conscious brain as if it is the enemy, as if um, you just ignore all of that stuff. And the conscious brain, I mean, if we didn't have it, we'd all sort of be wandering around in a dream and that might be very nice, but we uh, you know, also might still be lion food, right? Because we wouldn't have been <laughs> paying attention to stuff like building fences. Our conscious brain interprets a lot of information for us and helps us plan for the future and it helps us make judgments. So, so this is something that I've been trying to communicate to some people. And I've certainly known people in my life who, um, who dwell so much in that subconscious land, uh, relying so much on their intuition so that it becomes, everything is about how they feel, right? And you guys probably know people like this in your life. You know, like the emotional truth is all that matters. And they don't want to apply any kind of rational, critical thinking to it because they're like, well, I trust my intuition. Um, and it's like, yeah, okay, trust your intuition. But there's no reason why your intuition can't be subjected to the critical lens of your own mind. I mean, you can bring to bear your own critical insight to this too. You don't have to listen to what anybody else says. But yeah, you do maybe benefit from governing those subconscious feelings, urges, thoughts with the conscious mind and a critical lens. Um, because the subconscious isn't always concerned with the same things. So, um, so anyway, that was a little bit of, I, of a divergence. I didn't mean to quite go down that whole path. But the point is, is that uh, it's sort of like the old adage of um, write drunk, edit sober. Um, I, for the record, do not write drunk as much as I love wine. Even like one glass of wine, I can't write. That totally blows the whole thing out of the water. So I, I write sober, but I do, re I do rely a great deal on subconscious creative flow. But when I revise, that's when I bring in my conscious critical editor brain. So, and one thing I was noticing, and this kind of came up in the class because I had suggested that, uh, that the ticking clock is a really useful device. Um, and you can use it in many, many ways in a book, in a story to, it just helps to tighten the plot. It creates suspense, but it also just puts boundaries on things in a really useful way. And you can use the ticking clock or a countdown in all sorts of ways, big and little. I, I did that backwards, didn't I? Big and little <laughs> from high, from high, low. <laughs> 
if, if you're not on video, I'm like gesturing in the exact opposite direction. Um, but you can do this on the macro level that there's a countdown from the beginning of the book to the end, or you can do like, and, and you can do both, or you can have like little countdowns throughout the book, um, or story. And one of the students had commented that she had taken something that in her story was after I talked about the taking clock that she had taken it from, we need to, it's really important we get this thing done. And she had changed it to, um, we have to get this done by this deadline because of this reason. And she said, and it just transformed the story. And, and it is, it's like magic. Uh, it just all of a sudden creates all of these repercussions to the story and gives it a momentum that it lacked. And one of the things I discovered in writing this novella was it, takes place at Convocation Academy. For those of you who have read Dark Wizard and or Bright Familiar, Bonds of Magic books. And at Convocation Academy, I had, I have these two friends. It's friends to lovers story. And I had had it be that consorting among students, relationships among students wasn't against the rules, but it was strongly discouraged. And this was kind of how I had written the story the first time. And as I was going through and revising, and I was revising pretty heavily this time because uh, if you've been following along, you knew that I was writing my way into the story more than usual because I did not know who the characters were when I began. And I wasn't exactly sure what the conflicts were going to be or kind of like what the, what the parameters of the story would be. In fact, when I started writing it, I wasn't even sure what the holiday was going to be. Uh, and Jim Sorensen helped me come up with that over writer coffees. Thank you, Jim. And so I knew that there was going to be a lot of stuff in there that I'd kind of written in order for me to think about it. But that was that was fluff. And I did end up cutting almost 3,000 words in the end. Um, and it was just like stuff... It was kind of blind alleys stuff, stuff I'd thrown in there. And then it was like, oh no, that's not going to go anywhere. And we don't need it. And also stuff that was ended up not being true about their characters. But as I was revising it, and this is why it's helpful to teach sometimes, because I was thinking about it and I thought, well, why am I making it be? that this isn't against the rules, but it's strongly discouraged. It's like, why not just make it be against the rules? And as soon as I did that, as soon as I made a firm choice that yes, the relationship is against the rules, then it, it made all the difference. It's, it's hard to explain how these things feel creatively when you do them, but it just like, it takes something that's a little bit, wishy-washy a little bit. Um, I feel like there's a word I want. I want to say ooey gooey and that's meaningless. Um, you get my meaning. It takes something that's not quite fixed and it slots it into a place and it locks it in there. And then it becomes the, uh, if not a movable object, the very difficult to move object. And so that's, um, and then it becomes a conflict that has to be overcome. If your conflicts are mushy, 
which is the thing where it's not against the rules, but strongly discouraged, or also the thing of, you know, we have to get this done by this time because uh, otherwise bad things could happen as opposed to boom, here's the deadline. It, it creates a fixed point in the story that allows you to build a foundation around it. So um, it's an interesting insight, huh? And I can see how in my early books, I did that sort of gray area thing. Um, and I tend to be a gray area person. You know, I very rarely want to draw black and white lines, but sometimes they're very useful in stories. So um, on that note, I am going to get to work on gray magic today. Um, I will be teaching a workshop tomorrow. I don't know if you guys can take it or not. Um, it's uh, I know it's for MRW. I can't remember if that was um, Missouri romance authors or no, I think it's Maine, Maine romance authors, romance writers. Um, but I will, um, I'll look and see if, if, if it's something that's open to people, I will put a link in the show notes and uh, yeah, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend and I hope you get a nice, um, balanced brain approach to all the things you want to do. I'll remind you all that first cup of coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network and you will find more podcasts that you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. I will talk to you all on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.